This morning I want to begin with, it's going to seem like a confession, but it's not. I like golf. I like golf. Uh, I learned last Wednesday that a few of you like golf also, and I'm not really sure why you guys like golf, the few of you who do, but I know why I really love the game of golf. And there are lots of reasons for why golf is good for me. I see lots of benefits, and these are not made-up reasons, but actual reasons for why I like golf and why I want golf to be a part of my life. Number one, you get to be outside. That's just a win for me right there. Fresh air, I think, even in L.A. with our questionable air quality, I think it's still better than no fresh air. Um, Being outside is helpful for me, I think, to enjoy God's creation. Golf courses are beautiful places. You get to see like mountains and green grass and there's water on a lot of golf courses, which my ball usually is drawn towards. We can talk about that later, but it's beautiful. I, I love to get some sun, a little vitamin D, always sleep better on days when I get a chance to play golf. Golf is the best game. And although it's, it's really, really hard, there's something rewarding about actually hitting that ball and it going where you want it to go doing it in the right way. It's, it's very rewarding, learning a new skill, <clears throat> trying to get better at it. Lots of benefits to golf. You may want more, okay? There's lots more. You get to make new friends. It's an awesome time for some fellowship with people that you like for a couple hours while you play. It's a hard game, but it's good. It builds character. It's humbling. It's sanctifying. It gives you time to pray. Sometimes it forces you to pray if you're not playing very good. I like golf because it's good exercise, or at least it can be if you choose to walk, which I personally don't, but I'm thinking about it. Um, I don't know. I like golf because at the turn, you can go in and get a hot dog. That's just good for me. I love it. You play nine holes, go into the clubhouse, hot dog, Gatorade, nine more holes. It's awesome. What do you want in life? I don't know. It's an incredible, incredible moment. I like golf because the course is always changing. They can move the pin and the tee box and the wind and the weather. They just make that course, even though it's the same, it makes it different every time you play. So it's new and fresh. Makes me have to use my brain. Mental benefits, physical benefits, spiritual benefits to golf, social benefits, Golf's cool. It's not just for grandmas. It's growing in popularity. It's a proven fact that those who play golf, world's your oyster. You get to do and have much more opportunities than those who reject the glorious game of golf. I could go on like this for a while. I like golf, and I get it. (laughs) When I was in junior high, I felt the same as the majority of you here. I know a lot of you do not like it. I'm tempted to ask who who doesn't, but I think it may cut me too deep, so I'm not gonna. But I'm wondering this. Maybe you don't like golf because you don't understand those benefits. I'm wondering if you don't think golf is cool or, or fun because you don't see how beneficial golf could be 
for your life. And the same could be said about a hundred other things. I promise this isn't a sermon about golf. You may be missing out on something great because you don't understand its benefits. That could be true for all of us. We don't want something because we don't really see it as beneficial. Maybe vegetarians are on to something. Maybe, I don't know, essential oils are really good for you. Maybe banning Skittles and Sour Patch Kids in California is a good idea. That's happening, by the way. I'm fighting it. Write your congressman. Maybe being a Giants fan is really smart. I personally have a tough time seeing the benefit of all of those, but it's a good reminder that I don't desire those things because I don't see the benefits. I'm not into it. I'm not pursuing it. Not like I do golf because I don't see how that's beneficial. Here's the thing. I wonder if that's how you view God's wisdom. Maybe you don't see the the benefits of wisdom from God the way that you should. When you think about wisdom, you just look at it and you think, man, that's, it's just, it's weird. It's strange. For you, wanting God's wisdom in your life is like choosing to eat at Carl's Jr. Taking up polka dancing, just weird things. Sorry if you like Carl's Jr. But maybe you view God's wisdom like that. Like, I just don't see it as good or beneficial or, or helpful. You don't really understand the benefits of God's wisdom. You, you don't see it. You don't see the blessing, the goodness, the advantage of God's wisdom in your life. And because of that, you just don't want anything to do with it. You don't pursue it the way you should. You don't think right about it. You want nothing to do with this wisdom because you're a little bit clueless about its benefits. Our text this morning is going to turn our attention to wisdom once more. And it isn't just God's wisdom on display. It's not going to be like chapter 3 of 1 Kings where we learned why and how we should ask for God's wisdom. This morning is about the advantage of wisdom. It's another picture of God's wisdom on display in Solomon's life, and the benefits are really helpful. There's a lot of benefits to God's wisdom, and those benefits are meant to show us why God's wisdom is so good. Seeing God's wisdom at work is here to not only help us to see it and to understand the blessing that it can bring into our lives, but more, it's meant to make us desire God's wisdom all the more. And that's our big idea this morning. Our main idea from 1 Kings chapter 4 is is this, understanding the benefits of God's wisdom should make you want it should make you want it in your life. You you should want it all the more as you see how good and helpful and beneficial God's wisdom actually is. I'm going to read chapter 4, and along the way you're going to think to yourself, huh, what What is this? All these names, it's going to 
make you be way more grateful for the name that your parents gave you as we read chapter 4. But let me just remind us of the value of God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is profitable. It's all helpful. It's all good for us. And that certainly includes 1 Kings 4. It's here to teach us the benefits of God's wisdom and why you should want it. So let's give God's word our attention this morning. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 says this, King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his high officials. Here we go. Azariah, the son of Zadok, was the priest. Elahoreph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha were secretaries. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was in command of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers. Zabad, the son of Nathan, was priest and king's friend. Ahishar was in charge of the palace. And Adoniram, the son of Abda, He was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each man had to make provision for one month in the year. These were their names. Ben-Hur in the hill country of Ephraim, Ben-Dekur in Machaz, Sha'albim, Beth-Shemesh, and Elon-Beth-Hanan. Ben Hesed and Arubath, to him belong Soko and all the land of Hefer. Ben Abinadab and all Naphath Dor, he had Tephath, the daughter of Solomon, as his wife. Baana, the son of Ahilud and Ta'anach, Megiddo and all Beth Shean, that's beside Zarethan below Jezreel. And from Beth Shean to Abel Mahola, as far as the other side of Jachmium. Ben-Geber and Ramoth-Gilead, he had the villages of Jar, the son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead. And he had the region of Argob, which is in Bashan, 60 great cities with walls and bronze bars. Ahinadab, the son of Ido and Mahanaim, Ahimaaz and Naphtali, he had taken Basemuth, the daughter of Solomon, as his wife. Baana, the son of Hushai, and Asher, and Beeloth, Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua, in Issachar, Shimei, the son of Ella, in Benjamin, Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, the country of Sion, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. And there was one governor who was over the land. Whew, okay, verse 20. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute, served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, a hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. 
For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tifsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel, they lived in safety. From Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month. They let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and the swift steeds they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. Verse 29, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite, Heman, Kalkol, Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that's in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. All And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Told you. <laughs> if we're not careful, we read that and just go, next chapter, what is all this? I mean, there are more names in this chapter than we can possibly understand who they are. I'm confident I mispronounced at least half of them. And we start to look at Solomon and we're kind of worried about him. Does he have a gluttony problem? Is he so smart that he's like losing his mind? Has he turned into a songwriter and maybe like a zoologist? What is all this? Well, those last verses, 29 to 34, are meant to remind us that this chapter is still about the wisdom of God. This whole chapter very much still connected to chapter 3. God's wisdom was requested in chapter 3. It was given. And then all this stuff, all these people, all this food, what's happening? Well, As we connect it to the end of this chapter, we realize these are the benefits of God's wisdom on display. And seeing these benefits, again, it should increase our desire for God's wisdom in our own life. Let me try to highlight some of them for us this morning. Let's look at this benefit number one, God's wisdom. Benefit number one, God's wisdom brings structure, okay? I know you're like, oh, boring, <laughs> whoop de doo okay? Just bear with me here. These opening 19 verses, they're, again, just loaded with hard names to pronounce. And they remind us, though, that with God's wisdom comes something that's really helpful, really beneficial, and it's structure and it's order. 
It reminds us that God is not a God of, you know, disorder or chaos. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, God's not a God of confusion. Very similar word. He's not a God of disorder or uncertainty or chaos. He's a God of peace. With God's wisdom at work in his life, Solomon brought structure and order to the kingdom. He ordered officials, kind of verses 1 through 6 there, and then these like deputies over certain parts of the land, verses 7 to 19. It's like the equivalent of, you know, who would serve in his cabinet as like a as like a president. It's the equivalent of who would be his like district officers. And then verse 7 just makes clear the point of all these deputies, these district officers, was to be responsible to provide food for the royal court. And they all did that for one month out of the year, hence 12. So God's wisdom working through Solomon is just creating order. It's creating structure. Solomon had, we learned last week, wisdom to detect error and truth. He had discernment to lead. He had enough judgment to be able to decipher a a real mother from one who was a phony. But God's wisdom doesn't stop there. He's also given this wisdom for order, for structure. He's wise in the way he's thinking about the future and the way he is trying to improve life for everyone in Israel. It's not a life of confusion, but of order. There's peace as chaos is being minimized here. And it's clear that there's a better way. This is a better way to do it. Every man for himself is not a good idea. And Solomon knows that. And so he, he brings to, to bear, brings to life this structure and this plan. Did it involve a spreadsheet? And maybe some like old school calculators. Maybe. I know that's less fun for us. It's not really fun to think about that, but the wisdom of God brought huge blessing to Solomon and all those people. It brought happiness and organization, and God's wisdom can bring the same benefit into your life as well. Yeah, it can help you sort of count the cost as you think about the decision that's in front of you. Hard to do that without God's wisdom. It can help you see the the whole picture, not only what's happening right now, but what might happen a week from now as I consider that decision or how that might affect my life a year from now. And we need God's wisdom to give us that kind of order. It can help you organize your life and order and structure your life to maximize your time and your moments. That's so helpful. It can help you prioritize the things that matter most and it can help you enjoy your life so much better. I get it. I know. When I say order and structure, we just go, oh, boring. But it's so helpful to consider that God is is a God of order. And that order and that structure can be a huge blessing as opposed to a life of chaos, a life of free-for-all. So benefit number one, God's wisdom brings structure. Benefit number two, 
And I think it's very closely connected, that structure on display and in effect. God's wisdom brings delight. Because we're doing things the best way possible, because we have that structure, that order, we see the result and that wisdom certainly brings joy or contentment or whatever other word you'd want to use there. But I think delight's helpful. All of God's word is is beneficial, but that's far more true for us when we understand God's word, when we grasp the author's intention. And it's hard to read this chapter and you might miss it, but verse 20 is really makes the point here. And a lot of folks who read this chapter do miss the point, but listen again to the author. He says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that's on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. It seems like because of God's wisdom working through Solomon that the people were really happy. They were really happy. In verse 25, Judah and Israel lived in safety. Every man under his vine and his own fig tree. There's joy. There's peace. There's contentment. Everybody has what they need. It's really just like the end of some cheesy movie, like everybody's living happily ever after. That's kind of what the author's trying to do. That's what he's trying to to show us. In verse 21, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms and they brought tribute and they served Solomon all the days of his life. Verse 24, he had dominion over everything, over all the kings. He had peace on all sides around and about him. Even verse 27 and and 28 capture the the author's intention pretty well. The the deputies brought so much food to the king's table and they brought it every single day and they did their jobs well every month, month after month. Nothing's lacking and not even just the king's table, but the king's stables too. Just little notes in there that are meant to not make you get bored and turn the page, but meant to make you say, wow, like, This is pretty impressive. This is something to look at and think about. And it's all a benefit of wisdom. It's a reminder of the delight that God's wisdom can bring into your life. And here the the author does something intentional. He mentions God's people in verse 20. He says they're numerous as the sand on the seashore. That would be something to circle or highlight. And then the author mentions Um, not just their contentment, not just their delight, but that they're in a certain place. Verses 21 to 24, it captures those places pretty well for us. And then, of course, the peace that God's people are experiencing. Verse 24 and verse 25, there's peace all around. So God's people are prospering in a promised place and they have peace on all sides. What is the author doing? Well, Genesis chapter 22, God promised to multiply Abraham's seed and he uses the same phrase that they would be like the sands on the seashore. Genesis 15, God promised to give his people a specific land and it's described in great detail and It's this very land that they now reside. And there's also a promise for peace. This is a promise that God made to Solomon's dad, David. 
Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This really captures all three promises the best. But he says, I'll appoint a place for my people, God says, my people Israel, and I'll plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed. Nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. I'll give them rest from all their enemies. The delight of the people, it's founded in this reminder that God keeps his word. With God's wisdom, we get this little glimpse of God's king ushering in God's promise. Is it perfect and ultimately fulfilled? No, but we get just a quick snapshot. And what's the result when things are happening the way God promised they would be? Well, pure delight and joy and happiness. Everyone is so content. Everyone is so delighted and joyful and everyone is dwelling in safety and peace the way that they should because they're living how they should. Again, just a snippet, just a sample of what God will one day do for his people. What does that promise sound like? Well, let me read for you Revelation 21, verses 2 to 4. John writes, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he'll dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll no longer be death, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Those things have passed away. Those that belong to God, we know from scripture, they will be his people here. And it will be in this place that's so perfect, a place where God himself will also be and a place that we can't, Imagine as we consider the sinless peace that we'll experience there. A promise made thousands of years before, now coming to fulfillment at the end of those days. That's the just glimpse of the promise we get here with Solomon. And the people, it's a moment in their life that is so good. And it's a benefit, it's a, it's a blessing of God's wisdom. The benefits to God's wisdom are great. We're reminded of, of the delight that's sourced in his faithfulness. God's wisdom brings structure. God's wisdom brings delight. And another benefit, I want you to see this, God's wisdom, it, it brings a, a healthy curiosity. The last six verses of our chapter, again, they point to the the vastness of Solomon's wisdom. Don't miss verse 29. We are reminded that God is the giver of this precious, precious gift. One pastor says it this way, when you remember that God is the source of the wisdom you have, it, it keeps that wisdom from turning into pride. It's something we never want to allow happen, but, but Solomon's wisdom here, it's so vast wasn't anyone like him. Poor Ethan and even He-Man with a cool name. I don't think that's how you say it, but those two dudes were no match for Solomon's wisdom. 
No one could match him. And I believe the reason is just his curiosity. There was no subject that he didn't find interesting. The author says he wrote Proverbs. He wrote hymns and songs. He was interested in the largest parts of creation and even the the smallest, the most trivial parts, the easy to miss things. He was interested in all of it, verse 33 says. Solomon was interested in animals of all shapes and sizes. God's domain was his subject, and the wisdom that God gave him filled him with just an endless curiosity. Think about how much better his life might have been, never bored, never tired of the same routine or the same subjects. He found interest in everything he looked at because he knew its source was his creator. And it captured him, and and he just became fascinated with it. And with wisdom that God gives, you too can find interest in almost every subject. God's wisdom will lead you to be curious of both the Creator and His creation. And that will help you round out that wisdom that you seek as you navigate life and all that God has in store for you. Again, it's a strange little chapter when you pull it out of its context, but when you see it in its connection to the chapter that came before, God wanted us to know that the wisdom that he offers has, yes, a great benefit for life as you seek judgment and discernment, as you desire to make good decisions, but there are more benefits than just that. God wanted you to see that with his wisdom, you can have structure and order that you will not have without God's wisdom. God wanted you to see that with his wisdom, you can have joy and delight and contentment. Don't miss this, young people, that you will not have without his wisdom. God wanted you to know that with his wisdom, you can also, too, have a a healthy curiosity. Maybe not to the degree that Solomon had, but some. As you look at life and the things around you a little differently. As you understand the source of those things being from God, being his creation. This wise king named Solomon, he wrote... At the beginning of this wisdom that we're talking about, the beginning of this knowledge is fear of the Lord. That it's fear of Yahweh. That's Proverbs chapter 1. I think as we end this, these two little chapters here, it's important to say that you can't have this wisdom if you don't first come to the realization of who God is and who he says that you are. You have to grasp your sinfulness. You have to recognize who he's revealed himself to be as this perfect and sinless God. And as Solomon encourages us to do, we have to fear him. We have to stand in awe of God, stand in awe of who he is and who he's revealed himself to be, but more that he sent his son to to die for you, that, that you would ask for salvation, that you would ask for forgiveness. We get to stand in awe that this perfect and holy God wants us to be with him. 
and created a way for that to happen. And this God not only wants us to recognize that and recognize him and come to that moment of salvation and forgiveness, but then he wants us to ask for that wisdom that we need to to survive the rest of our days. That's where wisdom begins, with fear of the Lord, but wisdom's benefits do not end there. One last proverb from King Solomon to close. Solomon writes in Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The person who understands the benefits of God's wisdom compares it to everything else that this life offers and chooses wisdom every single time. They understand the value of wisdom far superior than riches, far superior to fame, far superior to any pleasure or delight that this world can offer you. The wisest king to even glimpse, to give us that glimpse of God's wisdom understood that and he wrote that more than anything you get wisdom. Father, thank you for a a moment to look at the benefits of your wisdom. God, we are grateful to see it and be reminded of it again. Lord, thank you that your, your word is what you promise it is. It is not a waste of time or there are no parts of your scripture that we could skip or should skip. Lord, even in a chapter like this that's filled with lots of names and some things that maybe we don't understand at first read, God, we can see clearly that you have a purpose for it. Thank you for showcasing to us the benefits of your wisdom through King Solomon. I pray that we would learn from that example, that we would see how your wisdom would benefit our lives so well. God, I pray for these young people to to understand what Solomon wrote later in his life. That wisdom truly begins with fearing you, with thinking of you rightly, God. I pray that as they pursue wisdom in you, Father, that they would begin there. Lord, that they would see their need for salvation, that they would see their need for you. And God, then I ask that you would fill these young people's lives with your wisdom. Lord, all the benefits that your wisdom brings. And we pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.